0: Welcome to Kitchen Table Conversations, a series of short and shareable conversation starters for those of us who have or love and support people with a complicated and beautiful brain. Here's your host, Angela Geddes hi everyone and welcome to another edition of kitchen table conversations and once again these uh, kitchen table conversations are meant to be conversation starters for you to bring back to your kitchen table so that we can help uh, raise some awareness uh, maybe debunk some myths um, offer some clarification or just offer some real challenging conversations that we can debate and learn more ourselves about i certainly don't pretend to have all of the answers but i do come across a lot of really interesting and puzzling circumstances throughout my work and throughout my day-to-day and I just really feel like there's opportunities for us to learn and to share and to help you know, reduce the impact of of some of the experiences that, that people have on a regular basis. And I really believe that when we know better, we can do better. So today, uh, I wanted to just take a few minutes to talk about, um, I think, what many of us are experiencing in terms of the loss of of Matthew Perry. I think we've all feel in some way or another that we've lost a real friend and a, a gifted human being with a heart of gold. Um, of course, I didn't know him, um, but we all sort of feel like we did. And, um, you know, he was just such a big part of so many of our lives. I did take the opportunity this, um, this summer to read his book called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. And he certainly speaks very eloquently and clearly uh, about his long-standing journey with uh, mental health issues, Um, a complicated childhood, and certainly um, ongoing addictions. You know, it's just, it's a tragic story, really, when you, when you think about, um, and what he says is all the opportunities in the world, the fame, the success, the money, all of that, but it didn't cure his, uh, his demons and his, uh, his ongoing difficulties. And he speaks of, you know, esteem issues and, and severe anxiety and insecurities that I don't think any of us really realized um, given his gifts and his ability to, to make everyone laugh and, and to be so quick witted and and sharp, you know, always regardless of, of what was going on in his personal life. So I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge that I think many of us are saddened and shocked, but yet I think not really surprised uh, that he was taken so young given given his long-standing mental health and physical health challenges that were definitely related to his substance use. So, very sad about that. But it just does. It speaks to, you know, very complicated and long-standing mental health and trauma and developmental trauma and prenatal exposures, all kinds of things that can lead to these very real difficulties and I heard him interview just the other day saying that you know out of the six of them only one struggled the way he did and it it did seem to be unfair to him and it is unfair Um, and I just wanted to speak to the fact that you know this is the kind of thing that I see on the daily you know in my work um, I work with uh, a variety of different individuals who are incredibly uh, resourceful resilient kind-hearted loving community members who just want to live their best life and certainly want to share whatever um whatever they have with with others in order to to make sure that everybody has equal access so i wanted to take a few minutes today to to highlight the work of rebecca till i hope i'm saying that that uh properly. I I may not be and I apologize Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca and I don't know each other personally but have connected uh, through online uh, avenues and I've been following some of her work on LinkedIn and social media and she has a powerful voice and a lot of really wise words to share. So I encourage you to check out my Website And I am going to highlight a little bit of the story that she has to tell, um, because I don't think anybody can do it better than somebody who actually lives this every day. So I encourage you all to check out, you know, as much as you can, um, peer support people and people who who do live with um, the impacts of mental illness or developmental and learning difficulties and developmental disabilities as well people with lived experience have a lot of wisdom, and they really are the experts uh, in many, many ways. So I think we can learn a lot from them. So again, I'm going to read just a little bit of what Rebecca has to offer. And I will post it on my website. And I will encourage you all to to have a, a deeper a look at it and to, to spend some time and, and really share it if you possibly can. Because once again, the purpose of this podcast is to help broaden our audience and to do whatever we all can do to build more inclusive communities, to, you know, deepen our understanding, reduce the stigma that's so often attached and uh, to debunk some some of our myths and our understandings of of why people are homeless, for example, or why people can't keep a job, for example. So she invites us all to close our eyes. So I'm going to ask that you do that if that's available to you. She says, "Yeah, go ahead, close them." And now I want you to envision. And in this case, it's a foster child, but I know in my practice I can say any adult child um, from a you know a variety of different ages. She's talking about teenagers who are eighteen years old that are just um, transitioning to adulthood. And let's say that his name or their name is Harrison. They are considered an adult in quotes, by, in her case, state standards. And the state, what she says, doesn't consider trauma, or doesn't consider the trauma that this child has been through. It doesn't consider that on paper, Harrison is 18, but emotionally and socially, they are half of their chronicle age. And I will add, in many cases, Rebecca suggests that this 18-year-old adult leaves foster care to go find a job, to find a place to live, and to support themselves. Harrison goes to interviews, and they get a couple of job offers because they interview very well. Their verbal skills are amazing, maybe that of a 25-year-old age level. They get excited because they nailed a job. Harrison goes to their first day on the job, but they won't last more than a week. Their first day, they show up late because they have time management skill difficulties. The second day, they are late again. Harrison sets an alarm, but their mind can't calculate how much time is really needed to get in to work in the morning. 15 minutes is not enough time to get out of bed and then remember the tasks one should complete before exiting the door. 15 minutes in Harrison's mind is enough because they are only calculating how long it takes to arrive to work once they are out the door and actually on their way to work. So she's trying to highlight that discrepancy in her mind or in this, in Harrison's mind. It takes 15 minutes to get to work. So if he sets his alarm and allows himself 15 minutes, he should make it. But he doesn't allow for the extra time that it takes to, uh, to complete the morning routine. So the employer has no idea about Harrison's FASD because this 18-year-old doesn't want to ruin their chances of employment. Harrison doesn't understand the cause and effect of being late. They do understand that their disability is not understood in much of society, though, so they keep it close to their heart. By the end of the work week, this 18-year-old is brought into their boss's office. The boss has them sit down. They proceed to tell Harrison that the job isn't working out they were late every day and kept asking how to complete the same round of tasks over and over again. So Rebecca goes on to explain that, you know, up until adulthood, there was a lot of scaffolding in place. There were a lot of people within the school system through individual education plans and having, you know, foster parents or parental figures very close by to help protect individuals from making, you know, poor decisions. And I've seen in my practice many, many instances where the parents are actually doing the homework and completing the assignments with or actually for um, their their young adolescent children to get them through high school, because they know how important it is to get a high school diploma. But the individuals who are getting this intensive support and extra help, and like I said, sometimes actually doing the work for them, um, they're not aware that that school is as hard as it actually is. They're not aware of, you know, how, um, how deeply they are relying upon the extra scaffolding that's in place so then once adulthood happens and they're left to the real world um, they really don't they don't know that they need um, continued support so they don't ask for it and they're uh, oftentimes a little bit embarrassed and they are very well aware um, that they are different and that there is a, a negative bias and a stigma attached to mental health and learning difficulties And disabilities. So people are not forthcoming, even though um, people like me often try to encourage. know communities to to be more open and to be aware and uh, we uh, we encourage individuals to be forthcoming and ask for some supports because it is their human right but they also know that it's the right of the employer to let them go or to not offer them the position if they're aware of a disability which is a cold hard truth um, that that I can't deny so um, you know, I know many people who are afraid to out themselves as having um, any kind of developmental disability because that once it's out, it's, it's always going to be there and people feel like they will be judged harshly as a result and their opportunities will be limited. So I'm sharing this information and once again, I would encourage you to read the whole article on my website and recognizing that she's talking about, you know, foster children in, in the States, in, in the USA. Um, but we, we see this up here in Canada as well. And there's a lot of things that are in place to, you know, help with that transition. And, and it's not as rigid as 18. And she makes reference to that too. But even at 21 or 25, there are some individuals, particularly that they've had additional adverse life experiences and anybody in the child protection services really has. There's been some trauma in addition to, in many cases, um, developmental trauma or prenatal exposures um, that impact development. So it's a, it's a complicated um, situation here. So we are looking at a 25-year-old, but they have they may have the developmental needs of somebody much, much younger than that. Dismaturity, vulnerability, memory difficulties, money management, time management, um, reading social cues, and uh, understanding cause and effect are really sometimes quite difficult for people with complicated mental health and developmental disabilities. So um, once again, nobody can say it better than people with lived experience. So I encourage you all to whenever you have an opportunity to. To pay attention and to listen to the voices of, of individuals who've been there. Uh, check out the change makers, for example, Shannon Butt does some really great work. And um, um, she's coined the term healing out loud or heal out loud. So she's really uh, very, very interested in sharing her story and to help others, um, you know, feel like they belong and feel like they're not alone. So again, check out, uh, check out my website for more uh, links and information and opportunities to uh, to hear from the real experts and once again feel free to share this podcast if it's meaningful to you I do think that we uh, we all can work together to help broaden our audience and to uh, to work towards reducing stigma and furthering our understanding so that we can be a little bit more helpful with many thanks, Angela